Welcome to NextWorks Innovation Talks. Let our podcast inspire you with inside stories and conversations about innovation. Hi, my name is Peter Hinson. I'm the founder of NextWorks and welcome to our podcast. And today we have Bruce Fisher-Lippens with us. Bruce is head of innovating ways of working at Solvay, also responsible for digital HR. Bruce, welcome to our podcast. Welcome. Bruce, maybe um, just as an introduction for the people listening, could you just explain Solvay? Most people might not know it. What do they do? Um, how long have you been there? And what is exactly the type of activities that you're involved with at Solvay? Mm-hmm. I always try to explain Solvay uh, like I do it with my uh, daughter. And uh, I use three examples. One is Solvay is in many of our mobile phone applications. Uh, secondly, we produce still other things like natural vanillin, which is in the Nutella pots. Yeah, And then thirdly, we are a lot in uh, materials, lightweight materials, composites for airplanes, cars, uh, and many other things. But those are three tangible examples of what Solvay is doing. We have about 25,000 employees worldwide, and we are representative uh, really on the three big uh, continents. Brilliant. In that sense, we love to talk to you because it's easy when you're a startup to talk about innovating with uh, the future of work. But it's a lot more difficult when you have 25,000 people around the globe and you're you know, traditionally, historically, a company that's grown from you know, chemicals. Mm-hmm. If you have to pinpoint what you do at Solvay to think about innovation in HR mm-hmm. and digital HR, what are the type of activities that you're focusing on yeah. today? The biggest thing is trying to make sure that all of our people collaborate, break the silos and innovate faster than they do today. Why? Because Solvay went from a traditional chemical company five, six years ago, bulk chemistry, towards high-end speciality chemistry. And that means that if we don't innovate fast, we're going to be out of the market. And to innovate fast, people need to really collaborate faster. They need to work completely differently in those agile project modes and, and all these things. Every aspect around it is needed to do that. It's fascinating when you talk about that, because I think there's a lot of companies out there who are feeling the same need. I mean, their market is changing faster. The, the world is changing faster. They need to innovate faster. Um, I think when I see the transition that Solva has made into really becoming a, a very focused innovation company that is even more necessary. Mm-hmm. But then I would argue that most companies probably have a very simple solution to that. They think we'll just throw technology at it. We'll equip our people with the best collaborative tools that we can buy on the market. And if we just put enough technology into the hands of our people, that will just automatically go by itself. Is that your conclusion as well? Uh, It's not. It's not. It's not. (laughs) Uh, Every year we do a survey with all of our employees. And there is a question around digital solutions. People were quite dissatisfied with our digital solutions. And there are two aspects of it. One is we actually have too much and we don't know exactly what to use anymore for collaboration and for many other things. And at the other hand is some solutions are too average. We would rather have less, but really the best uh, digital solution. So it's needed, but you need to pick the right ones and don't overcrowd folks with too much digital solution. I also have the impression, and I'd be curious to have your perspective on that because you, you understand the HR side, but you also understand the technology side that if you look at the state of the art of the current tools that are being offered on the market, 
it seems like there's almost a disconnect between what we see happening from what we would like to see in terms of new behaviors and new cultures, but then the reality, when I look at the mm -hmm. technology that is available for the HR you know, mm -hmm. environment, it seems to be like that disconnect is growing bigger. Right? Yeah. I'm curious to see what your perspective is on yeah. that. I think it's a great question. I fully agree with that. Yeah. I'll give a concrete Solvay example. Uh, and I remember when I joined about two years and a half ago, and the mission was, Bruce, for three years in a row, we're trying to get a big new uh, HR system, one of those big ones that you talk about. For three years, and we tried, but, you know, the COMEX never said yes. Big investment takes three years before it really hits an employee. And quite quickly, when, you, when I was starting to listen to employees, I said, this is not what they need. This is an HR tool. It's not an employee tool. It will actually not enable collaboration, all of these things. They claim they do, but it's actually, I call it a bit of a new ERP, if mm -hmm. I may use those words. And for us at Solvate, it would actually mean you just catch up the, the companies who do that already. So the, the stake was for us, how do we actually leapfrog the competition, jump two or three steps ahead of the game? I looked at uh, you know little startups that offer things. We tested some of them. Some are good, but they're very niche on one specific thing. And we needed something much more holistic that is linking everything. And so we decided to create uh, our own tool internally, which we called you. It's about you. It's about your development, which is really a catalyst for our culture transformation. So we didn't create that in a black box. We put 15 people for 12 weeks together. It's an agile team with a panel of 100 employees who are testing it every day. So in that new ways of working, as you can say. And after three months, we had a first tool that worked really well. We refined it and we actually had a working tool that is an internal LinkedIn where people can collaborate based on skills, not just on names, where people can give each other feedback quickly, where they can have objectives that are linked to the mission of the company. They can share those objectives. They can manage teams. They can build project teams. So all of that on one platform and it's built by employees for employees. So. I would say long story short to say we did not find the right solution on the market and decided to create uh, our own solution to do that. That is, in my opinion, a really bold move. Huh? I mean, mm -hmm. in a world where today the strength of these technology vendors is so powerful mm -hmm. that they're all their marketing muscle that they have. How did you convince your you know, executive committee to take that leap of faith? <laughs> the honest answer is... Don't always ask for permission, ask for <laughs> forgiveness. If we would have presented a case like that to the whole, uh, our seven COMEX members, they would probably said, what's this? So with two of them, we decided, do you give me the trust to do that? We did that. We created that, what we call a digital studio, and we had to take our hands dirty ourselves. You know, we, you know, on a Friday evening, we changed the layout of the office and we made it happen. And then there was a positive buzz about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The clue was to invite our former CEO, Jean-Pierre Clamadieu, who heard about it and who wanted to join. And I said, yes, feel free to join for two hours. You're not going to take your phone. It's going to be two hours fully immersive. You're going to actually create a tool with us. And that created some sort of a magic moment where he then said he invited the whole comics and, and, and even people from the board and other folks. And that's why they get the real taster, which I still call it making a session where they can taste the chocolate instead of explaining that the chocolate, you know, tastes good. So, yeah, we didn't really ask full permission of everybody. That's a very honest and answer. The, and yeah. I think I like that idea because, you know, you're growing that instead of mm -hmm. just, you know, doing it in a classic project type mm -hmm. of environment. You're using agile mechanisms to mm -hmm. involve people and create a groundswell movement. Mm -hmm. 
What are the results so far? I mean, you, where are you now? I mean, I'm very curious to see because you're one of the few people that I've seen that actually has taken that step and it seems to be very successful. Yeah. So in terms of ways of working, we went from one digital studio to four digital studios around the world on the, on the three continents. We went from one tool, the initial tool, which was this HR tool, actually an employee tool called You, which is continuously evolving, by the way, to now more than 10 tools. Some of them we are co-creating with customers. So, for example, we created a web shop like an Amazon type for smaller customers to do business with Solvay. We created a tool in our technology solution services uh, together with customers so that they more quickly uh, can buy things. And now in the last uh, six months, uh, we are taking it also out of the digital sphere. Yeah? We're trying to apply these different ways of working in uh, research and innovation in our businesses. For example, the natural vanillin in Nutella, we've changed that in three months instead of in one year yeah? because we've been able to innovate uh, the way we work. So. Lots of success cases. We're now after a year and a half, which is pretty fast. The viral movement is going and we feel like, how do we now really scale it up? You also need a top, top, uh, top down support, of course. Fascinating to see what you've done. L- let me go back to that bigger question of how HR is evolving. I have the impression that there's not a lot of companies who have the privilege of having people like you with a strategic background and who understand technology and then are getting into that HR space. If you look at your peers in other companies in, and you see how HR is evolving, what do you think are some of the, the pain points that they need to solve mm-hmm. in order to be as innovative as the things you've been able to do? Thank you for the nice words, uh, firstly. I would say HR has too many purely HR people. Huh? If you disrupt a company or you want to disrupt you know, HR, finance, whatever it is, I think you need to bring always that outside perspective in. And not enough, I would say, HR peers are doing that. I think that's one pain point. Dare to take the risk of doing it. In the end, you don't have so, so many things to lose. Mm. Yeah? Second pain point is that I would say traditionally HR like to do the things they used to do in the past. And so they're even, I think, a little bit scared of disruption. Why? Because it also changes the job of HR people themselves. Mm-hmm. We even see it uh, very transparently. Some people like that change. For them, it's okay. How will I still bring value? Yeah. Initially, it's a sort of a fear uh, that is coming. That's the second one. And then the third one, it's also, I would say, really the leadership of the company Mm -hmm. that needs to take, and I'm talking about the CEO, CFO, and other leaders of the company who need to demand from HR to take not one but two steps up, but also need to support and help HR in doing that. And there, I don't see enough risk-taking either. Yeah, I've made an, an analogy in the past sometimes where I think, what could happen in HR in the next, say, five or ten years is probably very similar to what happened in marketing five or ten years ago. I would argue that similarly to your HR example, ten years ago in marketing, you had marketeers, Mm -hmm. but you didn't have technologists or data scientists or people who understood how to really interpret information. Whereas today, marketing has transformed and has gotten stronger as a result. I think probably that needs to happen in HR as well. The other thing is, I've always said the worst job to have in the last 10 years was IT manager because the world was talking about self-driving cars and you know artificial intelligence. And you would ask the IT guy, what are you doing? And, and that person would say, I'm upgrading SharePoint. Yeah? Mm-hmm. 
if we're not careful, I think maybe the next worst job to have is HR, because if you're seeing all these changes that can happen in the way we think about work, and then you see what HR people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis, that disconnect becomes yeah. very large. Do you see that happening as well? Yes, but I think that's also where the opportunity is. You say yeah. IT jobs, worst jobs, you know, it's also the most exciting jobs. True. And we're always in demand of IT jobs in a way. I would spin it differently. I think for HR, it's exactly the same. I don't consider myself as a HR guy and I will also not be for the rest of the next 30 years in HR, but it's actually the most fun job because it's about marrying that human aspect with all the innovation that is possible. So it's a lot in the mindset, in the openness. And as we are having difficulty in finding great IT folks, we're having difficulty in finding great, quote unquote, HR or people disruptors type uh, people. Yeah, that want to work in that space. Yes. So let me zoom in on a couple of things there. Uh, you mentioned that you need the capability to take risks, that you need mm -hmm. to try things. And I see this as one of those big cultural vectors that are necessary to really be successful in implementing change. When you talk to a Google, which is rapidly becoming yet another boring company, the number one thing they talk about is psychological safety. How do we keep people sharp enough to be open-minded for new ideas? How did you achieve that? Because in a business that came out of the chemical where security and safety is the absolute you know, pillars of your foundation, how do you combine that with risk-taking and psychological safety? Yeah. It's a good question and we are not fully there yet. You need to prepare everything really well. And we have one of our three core behaviors that we want in the company is being able to take smart risks. Yeah. Now that shift doesn't happen overnight either, but we're getting there. How do we do that? The studios is a way to get there. It's a different environment. It's a different physical environment. And the moment you go into a new physical environment, it's the moment also to put new rules in the game. Yeah. We are starting to test things like instead of having heavy steering committees with lots of leaders, we say, no, we now have light steering committees where maximum three leaders can be there and it's maximum 45 minutes. Yeah? Uh, we created a, a white paper, a manifesto on the five principles on how we would like to take more smart risk and work more in an agile way. So it's getting out there. Yeah? Our leaders, step by step, are experiencing it and they've become also much better advocates of it. So the leadership part is also part of that. So you need to put on a couple of those elements in place, being allowing for experimentation, having the leaders behind it who also don't blame you when you make failure. And we said it all, failure is not failure. You learn from it, but you actually really need to have that culture. Yeah. Um, and the real test is when you really fail something on a really big project that could really bring millions, are you really supported or not? That's crucial. Many of those elements together, you need to put in place. Let me focus on one of them, and you mentioned it, leadership. And I think this is one of the most fascinating things that I see happening right now. Companies are embracing change or getting into the storm of disruption or need to go faster. But many traditional companies today still have leaders that were trained in what I would call 20th century mechanisms and systems. Mm -hmm. I would argue that maybe an MBA today is still primarily teaching those 20th century skills. But in the 21st century, where we have to deal with uncertainty and complexity, we've got to make strategic decisions without knowing all the answers, and you've got to lead people in uncertain times. That's a different style of leadership that we need. 
How are you preparing your leaders at Solvair for that? Are you retraining, reskilling? What are you doing to actually put them at ease in a world that is no longer in their comfort zone? It's exactly what you say. Leaders need to be good tea leaders, need to go deep, problem solve, be okay with that. We do two things. We have, call it softer capability building programs. Our leaders go to some of those types of trainings. We organize one day about what does it mean to work in an agile mode and we let them test it and play with it. And then we have a panel discussion. What does it mean as a senior leader? What do you do with that? So That's one aspect. The white paper we wrote has a little chapter on what's the role of a senior leader, how can you do with it, so that helps as well. And then I would say, thirdly, is also you need to make it hard. So performance management needs to be adapted. Mm -hmm. If a leader does not role model anymore, yeah. then there needs to be consequence management of it. And it's you need to give people a second chance and you need to coach, but at one point, there's a tipping point and you either go or you don't go. And there you also need to be a little bit... I would say in a good uh, consequence management. Of course, you also need, and maybe that's the fourth one, you need to give them the tools as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So, for example, in our U tool, we're now piloting uh, a thing where uh, every month it's a team pulse and every month you get five, six questions and leader and employees see the results at the same time in mm -hmm. their team and have an open discussion about what's really working, what's not really working. That's how we can create more of that safe space yeah. and a really dialogue where also employees can actually help uh, leaders uh, in a way. And maybe last but not least, now that I think about it, we also have a reverse mentoring program, yeah. So, which is really nice and leaders love that actually. From a leadership point of view, I think that makes a lot of sense. The bigger question about skills and retraining is now something that is top of mind in many organizations. I mean, um, we see company after company announcing that part of their workforce isn't fit for the 21st century anymore. At the same time, they're having difficulty finding people just on the market with those new 21st century mm -hmm. skills. It seems to be like this is going to be an enormous dilemma for many companies. I sometimes see HR managers that don't know if some of their workforce is incapable of being reskilled or unwilling to be reskilled. Is that something that is also part of your reality at Solvay? And you told about the fact that you have an A plus grade of you know mm -hmm. a lot of engineers and, and technical people, but I'm assuming that they're not all 21st century skilled as well. You're exactly right. It is a challenge, and we haven't fully solved to that one. That's for sure. Uh, I think we have a little bit of an advantage compared to other industries that we go a little bit slower moving than some other. Uh, industry but that's also the danger <laughs> and in the end of the day you want to actually move faster and you also want to attract the talent to come into chemistry and not only go into the fast moving uh, world we do have difficulties in really trying to attract more of those new talents we're trying to innovate uh, my dream is that we also build something like a solve y like google has google x because then you unleash innovation and you attract people and you have positive stories about it So that's from a talent recruiting perspective, of course. The massive reskilling is, is a tough one. It's a costly one. We haven't taken massive actions yet. And to be really honest, in your question, is it skill or is it will? I'm also not sure that I know the answer mm. fully. And in the end of the day, it's a mix of both. Well, and I think mm. it's going to be a societal uh, challenge that we have ahead of us. I mean, mm. uh, this is not just you know companies like yours, it's smaller companies, but everything from banks, finance, look at the government. I think we probably have a significant amount of our current population 
mm-hmm. where we're going to have to figure out what we are going to do because you know we we want people to work longer but yeah. it's not just saying you have to work longer that idea of lifelong learning becomes a real societal debate yeah. and i don't see enough political action you know in many geographies around the world to really do something yeah. about it but you you're you make me think because the for me a key point is that people also take ownership and action in their own career it is too easy to say i'm going to wait for the company to give me a big reskilling program that's yeah. actually too easy yeah. who are always the best people in companies are the ones who are really proactive and they actually shape their own career and they yeah. learn themselves so that's also a bit of a message of course as a company you need to enable that you need to allow for that give them a you know a learning budget or whatever whatever it is but in the end it needs to come from the people as well like we have our digital studios we work we try to combine different generations different skill sets together so that they can learn from each other but then being in there and being fully present that's of course your personal choice yeah, yeah? that's something that of course there we go into culture there we go into culture and if you have that culture as a company it's easier to do that yeah and i think it's going to be very interesting and especially in that evolution why do people want to join a company and what is their ambition and and i i personally believe there's a, a slow but i think noticeable societal shift you know that probably every generation puts that into a different notch where it's less about i want a career but what does it mean for me what is my role what am i going to do and that what is the individual what is the collective what is the we and what is the me that is gradually shifting and i think it's more and more important now if you want to recruit a next generation who believe probably in a purpose more than just a paycheck that you find that right yes. cultural fit to make that happen yeah. you hit on a very important point eh? purpose is so important finding your why is so important and making sure that even in a big company like we have 25000 employees we can have a big one big purpose yes but in smaller teams they do different things and they need to find their team purpose and yep. make sure they can work together and you as an individual you need to find your purpose as well in what you would like to do in the world and that will actually shift uh, during the years that you have again it's allowing for the time to think about that purpose and not yeah rushing through the day to day and then suddenly get hit of what am i actually really doing and it's too late to change and i'm i'm sure that in a company like mm. yours which is in full transformation yeah focusing mm. on the innovative ways to think about you know um material science you mm. know there is so many wonderful people that can really say that's something that i want to put my shoulders you know under and and, and do something sure. significant with that yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the time, Bruce. Maybe just a final question. Um, if you have some HR people out there listening and you want to give them some solid advice or at least some you know, uplifting message that you know, it's not all doom and gloom in HR, what positive recommendations would you give them? I would see, uh, see everything as opportunities. It's the coolest time to be in HR because you can marry the human side of things you can marry the technology side of things the world is changing and we go for a bigger purpose it's very complex it's holistic but we need uh, we need that yeah and just do it experiment take the risks it's very rewarding and in the end of the day you do it for the people yeah so there's nothing uh, that should actually block us i think in hr we feel too much too too blocked. Uh, I once received a really good feedback of one of our uh, Comex members who said, you should even uh, take off your jacket even more, Bruce. <laughs> and what he meant by that was like, unleash yourself even fully. All those ideas, great, but you 
you can do even more of that. Yeah. So I think we can just yeah do it and do it even more. I would say. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. What a wonderfully uplifting message. Bruce, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the podcast and keep tuned for the next editions. Thank you very much. This was NextWorks Innovation Talks. Thank you so much for joining us and follow us on nextworks.com if you're hungry for more innovation news and events.